Oh, oh, PC. Hey, hey that's, that's cool. cool. You got a podcast? Well, I didn't, I didn't know, know that. that. Well, that's cool. Now you do. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back. Oh, that's cool. OTC's very own podcast on all the amazing people we work with here at Ozarks Technical Community College. I, of course, am Jared Durden, and with me, as always, is Andrew Crocker. Do you like the getup? Do you like where we are right now? First time I, we've done one of these in the soul, in the, in the, in the uh, gullet of uh, Lincoln. Yeah, historic Lincoln Hall. Historic Lincoln, absolutely. And we, yeah, it, uh, uh, not only historic Lincoln, but... Uh, we have a right. We are right now in their conference room, right next to the gigantic um, lecture hall, whatever you want to call that. Lincoln two eleven. Two eleven. Yeah, that's right. Where I was just a few days ago. Did you? Did you make it out, uh, people? We are recording this uh, on April Fool's Day. A few days ago, they played Spider Man in here. Two days ago, did you make it out I, for that? I didn't. They had they three showed different it like shows. Three different times. Yeah. Yeah. They had a ten a.m., a two p.m., a six p.m. Lots of stuff going on in the Lincoln room. You it didn't make a, it. It was on a Thursday, right? Uh, I think it was on a Tuesday. Yeah, on a Tuesday. On Tuesdays, I teach it, like all, uh, pretty much all throughout those times. Have you so. seen? Have you seen it though? Have you seen I the have. movie? No, yeah. No, okay. No way home. No way home. Yeah, the last Spider-Man movie. Have we? By the way, have we established this podcast as a spoiler-free space or a spoilers welcome? What's our pol- What's our spoiler policy? I think it should be. I think we've been consistent with that. Being spoiler-free. Mm-hmm. Now there was. <laughs> I was actually just listening to our episode with John Herbert not that long ago. I did spoil a B movie, a Lincoln B movie, where he was murdering a bunch of zombies. I did spoil the end of that. It's true. And I ruined the sixth sense, I think. In the <laughs> yeah, I think you may have. Uh, let me just at least bring up um, a, a uh, an idea from that movie, because I got in a conversation with my good friend uh, Greg French about that today. About L- the sixth sense? About a theme raised from the Spider-Man film. Oh, OK. OK. So I'm not giving anything away. I don't think. Let's just just let's just make you Spider-Man for a hot second here, Jared. It's not a huge jump. If I if I wipe the world's memory of who you are, um, do you think you'd be able to win your wife back over again? Oh man, we had a we, Greg and I had a very long philosophical conversation I, about our odds at winning our wife. Yes, back. I think so because she likes me now. The conversations we've had are like if we had so we we got married in our thirties. Yeah, if we had met in high school, I don't think she would have liked me. And, and or if we had met in my early twenties, I probably didn't stand a chance. Yeah. But no, right now, if we wiped now her memory, a sweet spot. If we, I, if we, I think I think so. Okay. All right. Fair so. enough. Uh, my wife and I met on a just a clean date, so I'm pretty sure I'd have a good chance of winning her back over. Greg actually got to know his wife as a friend for years, and then they started dating. So that's gonna be a tougher climb for Greg. Yeah. I think. Uh, but it, I, I did wonder of that. How many of my friends would I be able to win back over? I have. I know I have a number of friends that's who are just sticking question. with me due to history alone. Yeah. That's it. So <laughs> erasing that from them. I mean, just as a human being, like I, I kind of had this personal philosophy where if I can't look back every 10 years and go, poof, I am an, I was an idiot, then I don't feel like I've grown enough as a person. You know what I yeah. mean? So. Do you think that's conceivable? Well, actually, the nice thing about this podcast is you'll have audio evidence when you're yeah, in your, absolutely. I actually don't know your exact age, but like a decade from now, you'll be able to look back. You'll be able to listen to these episodes. Take, take a guess. How old do you think I am? I know you're in your upper 30s. I know you are. You're I'm going to give you a kind man. Are you really not? I'm 42. How are you? How am I grayer than you? And you're I, I older just than cut me. It out of my beard. Don't you see the the stripe here? I'm, I've got a clear stripe in my swoop, as you called it. No, and you. Know, 
I just, that angers me to no end. How did I get grayer than you, younger than you? How old are you? 40. Turn 41 here in a little bit. But. The be- I, I just trimmed some out of the beard. I get it a lot here. <laughs> well, you, you, you play young. Thanks. <laughs> so we're back in Springfield. Um, for this episode, uh, where are we going to go next? We've got to do. We've got to do another on the road. I was thinking about this. We still have uh, Lebanon to, vil- to visit. We still have Waynesville to visit. We haven't been to Republic. We haven't been to Republic. So we're down to three campuses. So and and I should we should we just keep moving out? So we went. We started out in in Branson on our travels, and then we went to RVC. And so should we just keep in that trajectory? So Republic would be the next. I'm. Do you do you want to ask me? Uh, the host of the show or me the human because me the human is very biased i would just straight up go to waynesville because one of my good friends maggie shelton helps run Jump that all the way out and then come back i mean she's phenomenal i love her she's great and uh i i would just selfishly even if we don't i would just say hi to her and pester her for a while which has been a, a pastime of mine uh but so that's where i would go but i don't know let's let's do that let's we can go anywhere i would pester james ackerman too there's really no shortage of people i could bother did you know by the way the uh, uh, Dusty Childress, who kind of runs the show with those two campuses, he and I were roommates once upon a time. He and I, uh, when we uh, were both yeah, adjuncting here, in, uh, we were roommates once upon a time. Leadership, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. He was a, a great roommate then, super nice guy. I will say I am surprised by his success. I'm surprised by it, but I, I not because like he's not a worthy human. I just thought he was a real sharp dude. I did not anticipate him becoming the institution that he is now. He's a real special guy. So we, uh, speaking of, and, and that, that story did come up in, in uh, our OTC leadership camp class of, we were 2020? Yeah. Uh, and, and so our guest today actually was also a fellow uh, member of that class, and um, we have brought in uh, Whitney Greasarber. Greasehaber, yeah. Greasehaber. Uh, uh, her, her name has recently changed. Congratulations. Thank you. you. You've gotten, gotten married since we uh, last spoke. Oh, let's uh, jump in on that. If you, if we wiped your husband's memory, what do you think the odds are? That will go both ways. Okay. If we wiped his memory, do you think you'd have a chance at him? If we wiped your memory, do you think he'd have a chance at you? Yeah. So I think <laughs> I, I'd say yes to both. Um, oh, okay. We got married in the pandemic, 2020. Uh-huh. So recent enough. Um, but yes, he, so we actually met because we were doing a simulation and he rescued me. So I feel like that's probably what would take place again, since we do sim with Springfield Fire. I think he would rescue me again, uh-huh. and it would all happen for us again. Okay. So yes, and I also that's a think, good clean meat cute. I think yes. that case, that's yeah, a, that can yeah, I love again. our story. Mm-hmm. So yes, I think that if mine was wiped, I would still I would fall for him again. Yeah, I hope the same for him. Yeah. I'm gonna have to ask him, but <laughs> yeah. yes, I would say yes. I. Uh, I'm not disputing his honesty, but I'll already <laughs> tell you what his answer will be. Um, it will be yes. By the way, uh, I have a bone to pick with you okay. because you, uh, I, I don't know if many people know this about you, but I, I walk around the different buildings on campus all the time. And I think you have had a past career as a failed model because when I walk <laughs> on the first floor of this building, of the Lincoln building, I see pictures yeah. of students doing the whole EMT and, and medical yeah. experience. And you are oftentimes a patients you're mm-hmm. oftentimes trying to instruct them and just like dead eyes or something yeah. i don't know what happened in your modeling career that's that's just a matter of uh wrong place wrong time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we don't have enough volunteers apparently for pictures and so when christina's taking pictures generally if i'm there and we don't have enough it's like winnie 
You're going to do this. The, the, my favorite of the bunch is uh, the IV. You're getting an IV. Are you getting yeah. a real IV or a no. pretend IV? No, it was a pretend IV. You want to be anywhere but where you are That's in that right. picture, which is probably true for the people that they'll be caring for. They would. They don't want to be where they are being cared for. Yes. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe that's true to life. Maybe there were some like three degree, three dimensional chess that you were playing in those pictures. Like, yeah, you're yeah. not enthusiastic. Why would you be enthusiastic nope. in a gurney? Can you imagine, though, if that was actually the case where if when they were doing those simulations, you had to get an IV every time? Yeah. <laughs> We'd have a lot less instructors, mm-hmm. I feel like. Yes, we do. So in nursing school, we did practice on each other. And it's the same for the paramedic students. They practice on each other. So. That's how you're learning, but no, in simulation, we we don't ask our people to get stuck that many times. For anybody, <laughs> anybody listening, if you want to see this grade D minus modeling work, go walk <laughs> the first level <laughs> of this building and see the the work that Whitney has put in. Yes. How long ago was that? Um, well, there's a few different stages down okay. there. There's one that was three years ago. There's one that was two years ago. And then when we just did the emergency management um, and disaster preparedness stuff at OEM, I was in those also. So one of those ended up in the mailer recently. The, the worst thing about it is that I love how you're like, oh, it's wrong place at wrong time. But yeah. they knock on your door every time they need somebody. That's just bad luck. Yes. Real bad yeah. luck. Yes. Uh, would you mind taking a moment since I, I had to get the Spider-Man questions your way? What's your position? What do you do? What's your, how about your relationship to OTC? So I'm the director of the Center of Excellence for Medical Simulation, which is a mouthful. Um, used to be known as the Sim Center and was part of Allied Health and now is part of the Center for Public Safety. How long have you been doing that? That's actually, you got in that position very recently, right? Yes. So I actually started, um, I'm a student of OTC, so I went to nursing school here. Came back to work part-time in the Sim Center in 2015, and then full-time in 19, and then I went to paramedicine for a short stint, and back to the Center for Public Safety was started June 1st of 21, so that's when I started um, as the Director of Operations of the Center for Public Safety and made a transition into the Director of the Center of Excellence for Medical Simulation um, officially January 4th. That was already part of my job duties, but they just made some changes with the Center for Public Safety, which I was laughing when you were talking about Dusty Childress because he's actually my boss. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, all yeah. paths lead to Dusty, right? right? So what are the kind of simulations? What are the things that you simulate in the center? All sorts of stuff. We see, I mean, pretty much all of the health sciences programs. We do like dental emergencies for dental. We see OTA, PTA. Um, today, Fridays are usually like a community partner day. We do pre-hospital. So we have Cox, um, practicing paramedics and EMTs in today. And then Mercy pre-hospital is also here today. They're doing credentialing. So that's like if someone is new to them or has just graduated from school, they have them come in and run through simulation to make sure that they know their protocols and understand, you know, what they're supposed to do and taking care of their patients. So, so if someone's never seen it before, just give us a quick example of what a simulation looks like. Like, take us through kind of step by yeah. step. Um, so nursing's probably good ones to walk through. Um, so ASN, they've got some that are mental health. So we have a room set up that looks like a hospital room. The simulation is written by the faculty. So ASN, or we have an education specialist who can help with that. But 
Um, the simulation's written. There's written objectives. The student has learned about whatever they're simulating previously. So we want to set them up for success. If it was something they didn't already know how to do, we wouldn't ask them to come do a simulation on it. So they'll come in, walk through the sim. Some of them are with standardized patients. So those are our actors that we hire. So it's, you know, they'll sit and talk just like we are. Some are with our high fidelity mannequins. So then we have an operator who's like has the script in front of them and is just running through, you know, this is, these are my signs and symptoms. So if it's a mental health one, we've got one that's like a schizophrenic patient. So we ask our actor to play out this role. And then the nursing student has, you know, specific objectives that they're supposed to meet. Um, and then afterwards they go through a debriefing where they kind of talk about, you know, this is this is what I can see that I did wrong. Or maybe they said, um, 57 times and they didn't know they did that or their body language is bad. So they're watching a video of themselves. They're hearing themselves, gives them a chance to kind of reflect on this is what I did well. This is what I need to do better. Um, and the main thing is just that it's a safe space for them to learn and fail. So, you know, let's say it's a, a delivery scenario and maybe the intent is that the patient dies so it's just them walking through that and understanding, you know, sometimes this is the outcome or if it's that they made a critical mistake and their patient dies, that's really the place to do it. And it's nice to see them when they come back. So when we have some of these Cox paramedics who are our previous paramedic students or Mercy paramedics, same thing, they can tell you, like, I, I remember in my whatever sim you know, I gave too much magnesium and my patient died and I will never do that again. So it's a great learning opportunity for our students. To me, that sounds like torture, having to watch yourself and listen <laughs> yeah. to yourself. Yeah. yeah. Some people don't enjoy that. That's not been but. so hard for Mr. Singer over here. And, yeah. uh, uh, but for the rest of us, for the rest, I'm so self-conscious because you're, you're your own worst critic. Right? Yeah. And in a way, that's healthy. Yeah. Because you should be criticized and it's such an important position. Yeah. But at the same time, just emotionally, that's it can be. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Especially yeah. when so many of these people, they they need to fail a few times mm -hmm. before they get the hold of it. But that's the that's the trial by fire almost right yes that's yeah. so quintessential to learning though right and i feel like that's such an important such an important idea in all of our classes it's just it's so exemplified mm -hmm. there right but but the classroom needs to be this safe place where you take risks and you make mistakes and mm -hmm. the consequences then aren't aren't real aren't dire but instead this chance to grow and to learn and then come back later and say okay I'm never going to do that again because I, I know what that result's going to be. Yes. And it's a little bit different for like our health sciences students and our Center for Public Safety students. They're not going to be in a simulation where if they don't pass it, they're done. Like you're you're out of here. That's it. Now for Cox and Mercy, these are practicing providers. They're not learning. They're expected. I mean, of course, you're always learning, but these are things they're expected to know. And so that's detrimental, obviously, if they don't know something that they're expected to know, then they're going to have poor patient outcomes. So those can be high fidelity, high stakes SIMs, whereas health sciences students, we don't, it's not a one and you're done. And this is a program that students apply to get into. Is that accurate? For SIM? For, yeah, for the students that are going through that. So, no, it just... It really depends on the faculty. So, um, and part of it is also 
regulated by the state board. So nursing, for example, they have to have a certain number of hours of simulation. Um, some programs are not required to do simulation, but I think they recognize the benefit of putting their students in that real life, like just as real as you can get it scenario and making sure that they're bridging that gap between their lecture in the classroom and their clinical or practicing with patients. So um, any of our health sciences programs, you know, we will do whatever we can to help them with whatever they're wanting to do for their students. So um, something that we, we like to ask to kind of get to know um, our guests a little bit, um, tell us about someone who you look up to, someone who's inspired you, someone that you'd like to share with our listeners that, that made some kind of difference or impact in your life? I would definitely say that'd be my mom. My mom is, I mean, personal life, like as far as a mother, she's somebody I look up to for how I want to be for my kids and, um, you know, just the example of what a mom is. But she's also a woman in leadership. So kind of seeing her struggles, learning from her, being able to bounce ideas off of her, trying to make sure that I'm doing my due diligence as a leader. So I would say also in that role, she's... Uh, forgive she's, me for asking, in, in what capacity is she a leader? Um, she's the executive vice president of a company that's not local. Okay. Outstanding. And yeah. like that, has she been in that leader position as leadership position as long as you can? Yes. Yeah. So she used to work for um, French's and I can't even tell you what her role was when she was there. But they moved into Reckett Ben Kieser, which was over here off of like Mustard Way or something. Mm -hmm. um, and then McCormick bought them. And so she went on with McCormick. And I know at Reckett and then McCormick, she was in um, like senior leadership and then went on to work for Waypoint after that. So as, as you are in your current leadership position, has has she been invaluable in terms of oh gosh, yeah, <clears throat> shining lights on what to do in certain circumstances yes. and such? Yes. And also, I should say, I sat down with um, Dusty in December to kind of talk through like, hey, you're my new boss. Like, we don't know each other well. So I was telling him, um, you know, just talking about women in leadership and trying to make sure that I soak up everything that I can, um, especially being a new leader, you know, like we went through OTC leadership. And so I just wanted to continue kind of bouncing ideas. And so he was like, well, I'm not a woman in leadership, but <laughs> he's so funny. <laughs> so he actually got me set up with Dr. McGrady and I went and met with her, just sat down and had a casual conversation. And she's somebody too, that I've always really looked up to. She's, you can tell that she, she knows, and that's one of the things I asked her, like, you know when to be compassionate and caring, and you know when to lay down the the law, like, this is it. And she's so well-respected. So it was really nice to get to sit and chat with her, too. And she did tell me, you know, you don't, you don't even need to go through Dusty. If you want to meet, we can meet and talk. And so I really appreciated that. You know, too. OTC is so lucky to have a number of women in leadership. Yes. Uh, obviously, Dr. McGrady yeah. is somebody I think most of us have hold in really, really high regard, if not all yes. of us. Dr. Uh, Barrett uh, yes. has, has played an incredible role mm -hmm. in the school. Uh, oddly enough, just to be biographical, autobiographical, you and I share that experience. I look up to my mother a whole lot, yeah. who was uh, a department head here at OTC for really? like two decades. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, so I am a, I'm a, I'm a part of a legacy. There's a Crocker legacy here, Whitney, that we'll have to walk okay. through. Yeah, I'll show yes. you the family tree. There is, uh, but so OTC has been very, very fortunate to have a good number of women in those positions. And in, in your perspective, was there a key piece of advice that she shared aside from know when to um, be a support system and know when to be a disciplinary system? I mean, she she really mentioned that it's situational. Like you kind of have to look at, you know, what's going on. Um, is it something that and, and basically said too, it doesn't it doesn't get easier. You know, it's something you learn with time, but it's very situational. And there are some situations where you can see that, you know, it's headed off in a bad direction and you know the answer. You might not want to admit that you know the answer, but that's you know, that's going to head off in that direction and just um, kind of not, I don't want to say like exercising care, but always being yourself in that. Don't try to like emulate someone else, just bring you to it. But, you know, you'll learn as time goes on to make sure that you handle those things appropriately and with your, and that's what I think she does so well is, is she's such a part of it. It's not that she's you know, trying to be somebody else. It's, you can tell that it's her and she's very genuine. So that's a theme we've come back to time and time again is, and we talked about it with, I believe Dick Wells. That's a theme we've talked about is that there are other people who could potentially do your job, but you're really the only one who could do it like you, mm-hmm. right? Cause you and I, you know, given our personalities may be very different. I, 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 if you wrote down your exact steps in something, I'm not sure I could replicate it yeah. and be as effective as you. I, I have to mold it. Uh, and that's true for instructors. It's true for leadership positions. And yeah. to a certain extent, I mean, I'm sure you have more overlap with Dr. McGrady than you do perhaps a male leader, but still the decisions yeah. are going to be very much you. Yeah. I should say too, Dr. Crum, um, she mm. was my nursing instructor in nursing school and she was the faculty member that I actually, what was it? Faculty? Cause I know I came to your class. Yeah. So we had to like go do two things. Was that, uh, was it new faculty orientation? No, you're talking about leadership. OTC. Yeah. In leadership. Yeah. Well, I met with Dr. Crum to talk about, um, you had the shadows. I think you yeah, had the shadow somebody, for shadow somebody and do an observation. Yeah. Of okay. So she was who I shadowed. And, um, one of the things that she told me that has like really sticks out in my mind is make the decision. Like mm. you can't be indifferent or like him haw around about it, make the decision. And if it's wrong, then learn from it don't you know like the bad leaders make bad decisions and don't learn from them but good leaders still make bad decisions it's just that they learn they're not you know you're gonna have to make decisions the inability to make them will also make you not as good of a leader as you could be sometimes i have those tough decisions myself i just i walk into it assuming not assuming but pretending that i'm going to get it wrong okay so if i made the wrong decision here which wrong decision am I most comfortable putting my head down on the pillow at night and saying, right. you know, I made the best decision I could. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if that ends up making better decisions or not for myself. Yeah. But uh, gives me more peace of mind with the decisiveness I have to exercise sometimes. Yes. Yeah. I want to, I'm glad you brought that up too. Um, talking about Dr. McGrady. I wanted to tie a few strings together real quick. Um, so we, on one of the podcasts, we talked about, um, going into spaces that we don't normally go into and visiting other buildings. 
Um, and we also talked about how in NKM, there was some surprise that we've got these lunch rooms with tables that we hang out with. Well, uh, a good example of, of lead, leading by example, uh, Dr. McGrady took us up on that and showed up at NKM a couple of weeks ago uh, and and visited us in the break room and sat down and chat. And so I, I, I forgot to mention that. How about that? Wasn't that great? So I, I wanted to, again, challenge everybody to walk over to a building or to an area or to a department that you're not a part of, that maybe you're interested in or you know someone in or even don't know someone in. Sit down in the break room, have a conversation with someone you haven't met. Hmm. Uh, I, I really want to uh, – I really enjoy seeing that. I'm seeing more of that, and I want to continue to – to push us, yeah. you know, I was brand new and I was hired brand new. We went through um, uh, new faculty orientation and uh, James Ackerman spoke to us. And one of the pieces of advice he gave, he gave lots of advice over the course of half an hour. But one I still remember vividly. He says, eat out of your office. He said, eat in a common area. So uh, I am going to be completely honest here. I don't do that often, <laughs> but I have eaten in the atrium a number of times just hanging out there by myself. And I don't know. I kind of enjoy the buzz of it. But a couple times a student will come up and be like, hey, how's it going? I'm watching an anime on my phone. Oh, you like that anime, too? I happen to be a huge fan. Attack on Titan. I'm a huge Attack on Titan fan. Now, you know, we have uh, we have email chains with one another following the the latest plot twists in the show. And, that's that's great. A, and, and so shout out to James Ackerman for that outstanding advice. Still advice that I would pay forward. So uh, as a member of, of, of Leadership OTC, um, I think that most the deadline for this year's already passed and they've selected. I may be wrong about that. I think so March twenty fifth. At, 25th, at right? the very least, I know the deadline has passed. Yeah. I don't know if they've made their selections yet. When did we find out? The three of us were in the class. I, I, did we find out? I don't know. I, I I want to feel like it was by the end of mm-hmm. spring semester. Well, there's still opportunity um, uh, for the next year, but uh, a little, just a little bit about your experience with leadership OTC. You've already talked a little bit about it, but um, why you would suggest other people try it out, kind of what you feel you took away from it. I mean, I think the connections were huge. Like I met so many people I wouldn't have otherwise met. And I'm not sure if they strategically select from like we, we want to make sure we represent all these different departments within the college. It seems like they probably do because there's a lot of people that I know. Honestly, I don't you say that about like getting out. I don't leave Lincoln Hall, really, unless it's to go to Starbucks. So Lincoln, other than Graf, you're kind of way out in the middle of here. Yeah. Yeah. I joke with Daniel Oganyemi, like occasionally I'll walk over there. I'm like, I needed to take an Uber over here. Like it just (laughs) (laughs) seems so far away. But um, I think the connections were huge. It made it made me. Like even this, you know, this is not something we would have otherwise sat down and known each other doing. And um, there's several other departments where I feel like now I know somebody that I can go to for help or like just feeling comfortable reaching out. That's not something I really I don't think I understood the processes quite as well as I do now. I don't think I had the connections. Um, And then even just advice is huge for me. So like the people that spoke and hearing what they said about their leadership journey and, you know, here's, here's some key takeaways. These are things I learned. I think that's great too. So absolutely. Yeah. We wouldn't have run. I don't know. Maybe we would have crossed paths. I would like to be optimistic and think so, but I don't, I, we were forced to kind of be in each other's face. Yeah. Um, what once a month for a, for a year. I mean, naturally. And, uh, 
we did it in a pandemic year. I know. There wasn't really, there wasn't really much in the way of getting out and, you know, having happy hour get togethers. Mm -hmm. And yet still we were able to make some degree of connection. Yeah. Our first meeting was Zoom, right? Mm -hmm. Like we all met on Zoom. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have a suggestion. So that idea of, you know, that would help us getting from building to building more. Could we get a bunch of those electric scooters like that they have oh, in the big yeah. cities, right? But then maybe we work out of a system where we don't have to pay for them. Yeah. What do you mean like a Segway? You've never done that before? So like... Um, You're talking about the thing I feel where... like St. Louis has them. St. Louis has them. You like them. leave them at the curb and well, go in? Yeah, bigger cities, you'll, you'll find them, especially like tourist destinations. They're just... Usually what, what you do is they, they come with a phone app and, and you pay with a credit card and you, you rent them. For a certain amount of time, so you know, here I, I I would I would rather not have to pay for them, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, man, that would be you know, and then we'd get out more, yeah, right, and we yeah. we run around the buildings and yeah, and then I wouldn't have to take an Uber. Yeah, That's right. my personal <laughs> vote was uh, my first my personal vote was a prohibition tunnels, just just straight down through the like catacombs underneath OTC. Mm. Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, that's the, that's the path I would go. I that or human-sized bank tube. I would do that too. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. Oh, like straight Futurama. Up, straight up Futurama. Yeah. I feel like the tunnel for Missouri State has gotten like significantly more expensive than what they thought it was going to be. So that might be an expensive route. I just, because my, uh, this is, uh, those of you putting together bingo cards of me mentioning my wife, uh, my wife works at Mercy and they have a gigantic tunnel under Mercy that people use for like walk arounds and workouts and stuff like that. And I've walked it a couple of times. I kind of enjoy it. I kind of like it. It's very, um, very taupe. Very, yeah. <laughs> very bland colored, but I, I enjoy the serenity a little bit. Of being yeah, down there. the first floor of Lincoln Hall is very like you can yes. walk around and get lost down there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I used to teach in Lincoln Hall way back when. So right next to where you guys have where you guys administer flu vaccines, flu shots. Over here? Yep. Yeah. And Nursing. right next to that used to be a PLS classroom. Oh. And so I'd teach an NCAM and I'd have 10 minutes to sprint over yeah. to Lincoln. So that's ours now. That's simulation. Yeah. You have gobbled right up the now. whole building. Yeah. yeah, we're trying. But I mentioned that because like for the first week, I'd have students showing up with like two minutes left in class. It's like, I couldn't find this place. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the first floor is somehow even worse. It the is. first floor is really bad. Significantly. Too. Yeah. yeah. So the big question, Gumby versus Mr. Ed battled to the death. Who wins and why? Oh, I have I, I have no idea. First of all, are you familiar with the characters? No, you're not familiar with oh, the characters. No. So, uh, Gumby, uh, we, we we've got uh, we've kind of been working on this episode by episode, but essentially, Gumby, uh, stretchable, made of clay. Oh, there, okay, yeah. There's some question to whether or not, as he stretches more and more, does his density decrease? Yeah. Uh, versus, you know, a, a horse that that can talk, but has, you know, horse density. Mm. What do you think would happen if the two of those characters were to I feel like I'm going for Mr. Ed. Now, why would you say that? I do feel like you thought that through. Because I feel like the size difference and like what I'm picturing Gumby as and Mr. Ed, significant difference in size. We actually don't have Gumby. Not stretchable. We don't have canon Gumby size established I don't think okay. but in your mind's yeah, eye I guess you view I him as very it, small maybe it's because it's like as a child because you know when you go back to your elementary school yeah. it seems like it seems big at the time but it's really small so just sizeism that's yeah. where you're just weighing in on size yeah. alone I feel like Mr. Ed could eat Gumby 
Like it would just be a done deal. I mean, you're just you're just fl- okay. You're just assuming that Gumby is going down Mister Ed's throat yep. without putting up any kind of fight whatsoever. Maybe a little bit of one. Okay, you you misunder you and Mister Ed on the size. You and Mister Ed underestimate Gumby. Andrew at your has zero He's, objectivity. Yeah, <laughs> zero. I can't I can't stay on the really fence while I hear this. About this. I mean, come on. What do other people say? We've had oh, a mixture. The, the gamut. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a it, mixture. Okay. Yeah. To this, to this day, who is the one who who theorized the the only thing I'll I'm willing to give up, and maybe this was uh, I can't remember. The only maybe it was uh, Jackie Harris who suggested fire. Okay, so it clearly if sure. Gumby Gumby if he's made of clay, it's flammable. Oh, yeah, that, her that, suggestion was if hmm. if he could in, invoke fire in some way, it would bake the clay and then it would be breakable. Yeah, and usually the discussion comes down to people's opinion on attack versus defense, but it really <laughs> ranges then about not only physical characteristics, but some people get into like other characteristics that are more you know about uh, the heart, uh, the will, you know things yeah. like that. So yeah, I, mean, I would like, I believe in that. I, but I would like to say I would like to say that also part of the reason drawing your conclusion is what's in your soul I, I think the answer is a revealing glimpse into the core of who you are and, oh i agree 100 percent. yeah so what does that say about me i think you, uh, uh, clearly bigger is better is what it says about you <laughs> i am from texas <laughs> okay <laughs> so that has to make sense <laughs> i think we figured something out today yeah everything is bigger in texas all right okay. i wonder yeah we should take a we needed somehow pull just texas and see if they Yes. And the lean. Yeah, yeah probably will. The cultural differences alone. Yeah. The cultural differences alone. I don't know what parts of America would be more uh, amenable to, to Gumby's nature, but mm. clearly states that are like, you know, the the size of my truck, the size of my mm-hmm. state, the size of my uh, ranch. Yeah. Gumby, though, I've seen ranch versions of Gumby where, I mean, he's he hangs out with Pokey. I've seen him wear like the cowboy hat and spurs and stuff like that. So. Yeah. So he'd fit in, but I think he'd still get eaten. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I still, and you know, now that you meant, not, we've never kind of talked about Gumby's speed either. We can assume Mr. Red has the speed and dexterity of a horse, but Gumby kind of moves, or he does move around on the show, but he, he's not I've super seen episodes fast. where he like glides too. Yeah, but not particularly fast. I mean, if Mr. Ed had it in him, he could probably chomp him, probably. I just don't think Gumby's going down that easy. I'm I, with you. I'm with you, Gumby. I just I think it's important we're asking the question. <laughs> I do, yeah. yeah, I would we're also like stomach acid and you know digestion. He might still come out as Gumby. Maybe it's true. you know you you work a lot with uh, um, health sciences now, so yeah. Uh, maybe we start doing some experiments. Yeah. You know, my wife worked in. The, have you worked in the ER? No. Have you had clay related incidents that you could weigh in on? No, this? I have children. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I have not worked in the ER. So that does bring us to to, to um, the main uh, reason we asked you here today, or the, the the question that we brought you here to ask, um, is to talk a little bit about uh, kind of twofold uh, what it's like nursing during a pandemic and what it's like teaching nurses during a pandemic. Yeah. So I have not worked myself as a nurse during the pandemic. Um, I certainly still have friends and nursing that have. My sister is a nurse in the ER in Dallas, so a lot of experience there. Um, and then, of course, I've dealt with a lot of the education piece of um, nursing during a pandemic. So, and actually, there's there. This is obvious, but there have been other programs too that 
have been significantly impacted by, you know, kind of the changes. Um, I know that the Missouri State Board of Nursing changed their simulation requirements, and it was basically, I mean, it was the first time that I know of that you could almost completely replace actual clinical um, in a hospital or, you know, long-term care or wherever the students are going with simulation. Generally, they still want to see them get out and do clinical, but obviously so much changed during that time that they were allowing way more simulation than they had in the past. Um, and those simulation hours, so like one hour of simulation counts for two hours of clinical. So they kind of figure that, you know, you're, if you go to labor and delivery, you're not guaranteed to see somebody deliver a baby. But if that's the simulation, if we know that's what we're doing here, then we're guaranteeing that they're going to see some mom deliver a baby. So, um, you know, we're able to replicate exactly what they need to replicate and walk through. Um, Part of the impact, too, and this was more specific for paramedicine, but the OR, um, those students go into the OR for intubation, and they were not able to do that. That's, I mean, that would have been one of the most risky things is to be working with a patient's airway and ventilating them. So uh, they were not allowed to go do that. We had to set up Sim basically decided we need to turn the Sim Center into a hospital and there's potential that we're going to need to function 24 hours a day right now. So we knew we did not want any of our students to be impacted as far as you can't graduate when you were supposed to graduate because there's no way for you to get the clinical. And intubations when you're literally sticking a tube down someone's yes. throat, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So not I mean, fun. No. And you know, highly, like if that's what you're working with as someone who is COVID positive, then, you know, obviously you're exposed. So they had decided, you know, for the sake of the students and I mean, obviously their patients uncomfortable with it too. They felt like, I don't know that, you know, maybe they're there with their kid on the peds floor and they don't want a nursing student to come in and like, Hey, I'm not taking the chance that anybody else has it and is going to come in here and be around my kid. So you get people refusing students you know, that sort of thing, too. So we basically just decided we're going to have to function as a hospital. Everybody that needs to be able to come in and get clinical is going to have to be able to come in and get clinical. And um, one of the things I was actually talking with Dr. Crum about um, when we were looking at replacing some mannequins, our pediatric simulators are considered high fidelity. So meaning like it's it's pretty lifelike. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think our pediatric simulators that we have currently um, could be more lifelike and we can't use actual kids for our like where we have adults for the standardized patients. We can't do that with kids. So, right. um, yeah, like child labor laws. I yes, think right. Would yeah, be, <laughs> would be a real issue. So um, we I was talking with her about, hey, help me understand in the last, you know, two years, how have your students suffered from being almost replaced with simulation? So we are very fortunate that we can do a ton of things with simulation. We can replace a ton of experiences, but it also has a time and place. And there's a time and place to have, you know, human interaction and have to care for somebody that you know is real. This is not a test. This is my job. 
So um, one of the things that she mentioned was that the peds floor, like they were not able, they had two cohorts that were not able to have specialty uh, clinicals, period. So those two groups of students graduated with only what we were able to provide them. So that's when I went to bat for a higher fidelity peds mannequin and basically said, hey, if we're completely replacing these experiences for these people, they have to be as lifelike as we can get them. So that's what we did. So that mannequin is on its way now. I mean, things are kind of opening back up. That makes so much sense, too, because just dealing with a child's fragility and emotions and they're they're going to be scared and there's going to be a lot to just being personable Mm -hmm. and and being able to explain things to them so that they're comfortable. Yeah. And so we had those two cohorts that, you know, what we gave them was what they got. And so that's, I mean, it's so important that we're at the top of our game in doing that for them, making it as lifelike as possible um, and being here to support them. And I know that's one of the things too, that the board asks Dr. Crum when they come for accreditation is what is simulation doing to support you? So it's really important that we're you know, and it, that goes for all the programs. If they have a requirement for simulation, it's so important that we're in touch about, you know, where, where it like that with paramedicine. Hey, we can't, we can't send students to the OR. And, you know, that intubation skill is a skill that they're going to have to learn for the latter part of their clinicals or when they're riding on a truck. If they come across a patient that, you know, they have to intubate, I mean, they can't be like, oh, well, I missed the OR. Sorry, I didn't yeah. do that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to do this. So they're building upon that skill, you know. So that was that was crucial. That, And we never did run at 24 hours. We set up and we certainly ran extra. Like we did so much more simulation than we had done before. And it's nice that people have kind of kept that up. I think everybody really recognized then the impact and importance. But um, we never did run at 24 hours. We definitely did extra sim. And it definitely opened our eyes to we have to be able to to replicate this as lifelike as possible because sometimes that's all they get. Can I ask you something specifically about dealing with the profession of nursing yeah. in a pandemic? Yeah. You have you were not a nurse during during right. the worst of this pandemic. I did pandemic, not take care though, of actual patients. Though in the midst with, yes. with friends and family. Yeah. Um, we know we know that morale in nursing during the pandemic hit hit oh hit the gosh. gutter went really really bad yeah and meanwhile you are helping train nurses yes do you is there any drop in morale among them or because they're just studying right now they don't do you feel like they know the oven that they're walking into no no i don't i mean to an extent they obviously know what's going on in the world but I think they don't know what they don't know. So that at least kind of helps be like a point of, hey, and I think that's one thing OTC does so well is support students. So if they get into it and feel like this is overwhelming or, you know, and I mean, there was such a high mortality rate of those people that were in intensive care that, you know, I mean, I had maybe a couple of patients in nursing school that died, I mean, they were probably experiencing so much more loss. So, you know, in, in one facet, that may prepare them more. But 
No, I think they don't know what they don't know. They haven't worked as a nurse yet. Some of them may have worked in healthcare and have a better understanding than others. But I also think, you know, that you're a pretty tight knit bunch and pretty cohesive. And so I'm sure that they all kind of experienced that together, leaned on each other. Obviously, the faculty was there to support them if they needed anything. But yeah, I mean, it's and I think that's a great chance too to talk about mental health because that's huge. You know, that's that was such a huge thing for me with I have two little girls, but my youngest wasn't in school yet when all of this started. So that's just such a huge thing to talk about. And I think that was also a huge eye opener and probably became more of a subject in nursing school of taking care of your mental health you know, kind of just being aware of those around you and yourself of what you can do. But no, I don't, I don't think that unless they'd worked in healthcare previous, that they could know exactly what they were signing up for. You know, that was going to be my follow-up question because I think that's probably true for most careers. You don't kind of know what you're waltzing into until uh, the bullets start flying. But I will, and again, you kind of answered this already. How could we better Is there any way we could better prepare them for the zoo that they're about to enter into? I mean... Because, because, and again, we talked about this before on the Dick Wells episode. Uh, Shout out to Dick Wells, who was fantastic. We loved him. But regardless, you and... uh, Well, you are not a good example, but like Jared and I and most people outside of healthcare experienced COVID in waves. Yeah. And there may yet be another wave on the way. But people in healthcare, the wave never, it was a wave the entire time Mm -hmm. that's only now starting to come Mm -hmm. down, only now starting to subside. That's what uh, my my spouse will say is like, people ask her, man, what's it like? She works in the COVID ICU unit and they're like, what's it like working in there? And she's like, it's getting better. So she says, is there any way we can brace them in your mind's eye? No. I don't think so. I think there are ways to help prepare them. And I think we're doing a great job at that. I think, um, I mean, we don't have any, we don't have any Sims that are written as a COVID case. So not necessarily like putting them in that situation because I don't think even caring for one COVID patient is going to be anywhere near significant enough. But I think we can, we can prepare them. But I don't think there's any way to, I guess, really like for them to know exactly what they're getting into. But you're right. I mean, that's that's that way with any career. You don't really know. And the nice thing about nursing is exactly what I'm doing. Like you can do so many different things. So I think that's important, too, for people who get into it, because I know there were so many new nurses who got into it and felt like. You know, they were kind of thrown to the wolves. They didn't get training. They had more patients to care for than what one person probably should be caring for. Due to the shortage, they were allowing students in earlier yeah. as well, right? Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, you had the issue, too, of um, travel nurses. And while that's, you know, that was a, a necessary thing to do, that also kind of demoralizes nurses who have worked really hard for, you know, the company that they're working for and are invested. And then you've got somebody else coming in that's earning three times what you are doing the same job you are and doesn't, isn't invested in the company, doesn't care. It's a paycheck. So So anybody who's unaware, travel nursing, uh, it's not a new phenomenon, but the pay spike is a new phenomenon. This is a person who 
can be, would you say, contracted out to yeah. go to a different hospital, yeah. work there for a period of time, and then return home or go to a different hospital somewhere mm-hmm. else. Some people travel nurse full time. I know, I know a, a pair of uh, people who left the COVID ICU, mm-hmm. and now they live essentially out of an RV. Yeah. They are raising their kids, homeschooling them in the RV. Uh, it's madness right now because, yeah. as you said, the pay the pay spike is ridiculous to the mm-hmm. point where I should mention there has been conversation in both the Missouri General Assembly and the United States Congress at potentially capping it mm. because the spike is creating morale issues and yeah. by the way staffing issues among the full-time this hospital staff yes yeah so lots of lots of techni- lots of l- the nursing community is roiling a bit right now mm-hmm. between covid between the phenomenon of shortages and mental health issues, mm-hmm. record turnover. Yeah. Can I ask you about one other nursing issue? Is it is it Redonda? Yeah, yeah. so Redonda Vaught. Redonda Vaught. This is a nurse who, I don't know all the facts, you certainly may. This is a nurse who, through, we'll call it less than adequate care, yeah. had a patient that died mm-hmm. and has been criminally convicted for yeah. it. Every nurse I know has been talking about this mm-hmm. case. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, it's it's maddening because, you know, you walk into, like you have this woman who probably on the way into her job that day, you know, people are like, oh, you're such a hero. You know, I mean, there's those people that feel like these, like this is the career we've chosen, but for, you know, people are appreciative and that's nice. But, you know, she essentially walks into her job that day, a hero and leaves a criminal and... You know, I, I did read, um, so there were a few things that Vanderbilt did that I can't get behind. So it kind of felt like she was being thrown to the wolves. It was essentially someone, someone's going to have to, you know, pay for this and it's going to be you. So, um, there was a, an issue with their system, their medication dispensing system. And I know she was supposed to give one medication and gave another that essentially paralyzed, um, her respiratory system. So that's awful but um you know the fact that Vanderbilt didn't take any responsibility for that and the fact that usually that's a civil case like usually nurses I mean that happens all the time there, that's there's, why, what's the insurance you could take like malpractice insurance yeah. what's it called malpractice yeah. insurance yeah, yeah. so um, protect you from civil suits well, yes the the the, the kink in the hose this time was that it was a criminal issue and like the laymen are completely blind to this story they do not understand the nursing community yeah is freaking out over by the way they don't all feel the same i know a couple that are like well she She should have got yeah but most of them are like what if i just what if my kid keeps me up half the day yeah half the night yeah i go to work and i make really dumb decisions that i never would because that's what happens to all of us yeah when jared and i goof up you know, we can fix it with another lecture. Right. And so this difference, the, the, there's no, there was no civil suit, meaning the family didn't press any charges. So I don't know. I, I'm not sure why it came about that the case was a criminal case instead of a civil case. But the family settled with Vanderbilt. So they weren't allowed to really, like, I don't even know that there was... I'm not sure that there was testimony from them. But I don't know what happened that that changed it from how it's normally handled, which is a civil case, to being a criminal case. So, you know, she walks in one day and, you know, she was supposed to give Versed and she gave Vec. And so, you know, close, 
close enough in the language on the bottle. Now, on the top of that Vec bottle, it would say, like, this is a paralytic. So she must not have been paying close attention, which, I I mean, it's terrible, but we're human, and nurses are going to make mistakes. And unfortunately, that one cost that patient her life. And, you know, I mean, there was a lot of talk about, okay, she was in the ICU for a brain bleed was she going to live anyways? Is this what killed her? Now, certainly, if you knock out someone's respiratory drive, you're that's what's going to kill them. Um, but yeah, she was charged criminally, and I think it has it has the nursing community feeling like, I mean, I'm human, so how do I know that I'm not going to make a mistake? And I'm coming here to do my job, and you know, especially in situations like your wife, you're sacrificing so much. And, you know, going through so much mental stress. And then if you make a mistake, someone's going to charge you as a criminal for it when there was no ill intent. I mean, sure, you you are supposed to, you know, do no harm, but that wasn't intentional. So to me, to suddenly be a criminal and it's like an unintentional thing, I think that's it's really discouraging for. I would imagine that even new nurses are looking at it and thinking like, yeah, Jared this is and I, really what I want to do. Jared and I have both talked about the fact that part-time jobs we've had in the past were at banks. And th- mm-hmm. there is a concept there, like you can make a mistake at a bank, at working as a teller, that is so egregious. I'm not talking like, I'm going to take money. I have just goofed up, and I've goofed up so bad, I have exposed myself to some criminal, uh, or yeah. at least, the, but you have to goof up. Right. So severely bad. For the record, I have never talked to Andrew about taking money from a bank. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just natural. One thing they take you for, and again, this is my traumatic experience I had with working at a bank for years, is when your drawer is off. Nothing, yeah. nothing, my teeth are clenched right it's now. Never a nothing big drives amount. me crazy. It's, it's usually something. Why am I off 13 and a half dollars? Yeah. yeah. What did I do? That was 13 and a half. I mean, just, I'm already getting flashbacks yeah. and everything. But you can goof up so bad that. Mm-hmm. You know, a termination, I know that's always on the table if you yeah. do your job bad enough, but you could end up in cuffs. That is possible. Yeah, she's going to prison. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Vanderbilt covered for her, essentially, in the beginning. They they said that the cause of death was natural causes. Mm. And so this there was a complaint, I think, um, like 30 or 60 days later brought on by somebody. And they were even asked, like, why is Vander why is Vanderbilt not being looked at in this situation for, you know, obviously lying because they knew like she straight up admitted from the beginning she had done it. It wasn't even like she tried to cover her tracks. And I think that's the other part that's so unsettling to people is like she admitted it. She was honest about it, admitted it from the beginning. And Vanderbilt tried to cover it. And then when it got kind of brought back up, Vanderbilt was like, oh, here you go. That's yeah. her. So, what, I mean, what are we punishing, right? What right. message are we, are we sending out yeah. when we, we, we should as a society be valuing that kind of, you know, commitment to her job, commitment to honesty, being, you know, someone acting with, with valor. Yeah. So one of the things that about this particular case is that on top of this, maybe it's just hitting maybe part of the reason the nursing community is feeling anxious about this is because they've been primed over the last couple of years. They're kind of strung out. Yes. And dealing with COVID specifically uh, and and intense COVID cases, there seems to be, from a layman's point of view, a smaller margin for error in helping them anyways. 
So combine the increased professional pressure of the pandemic Mm -hmm. with what seems to be the emergence of a new legal standard, whether it is or not, I'm not a legal expert, but an emergence of a new, it just seems like they're getting viced from both directions. Yeah. Um, you're understand when students they're in nurse, do you hear, do you get to hear from them again as they move on and you get some feedback as to whether sometimes, um, we, it's been probably a couple of years now, but we called some of our students back in who had graduated to kind of talk about simulation. We were putting together a video just to help people understand and hearing them talk about their experiences in simulation was hugely impactful but yes there are times that um you know whether it's i'm in urgent care with one of my kids and i see one of them or i don't get a ton of opportunity to talk to them about um you know how are things going how are you liking it that sort of thing i think the the people i see more are the students who come through for a tour that want to go into nursing So, you know, I'm always, I always give them my card and let them know like, Hey, you know, give me a call if you have any more questions. I try to answer any questions they have then, but you know, sometimes more come up or whatever, but yeah, I don't, I wish that I could see more of the students after they've been at work. Is there a dumb guy question here? Is there any part of you that can recognize a student early on and you can just tell the student maybe, maybe you're temperamental level maybe your emotional strength your emotional resilience maybe this is not the field for you or do you just let do you you could be wrong so do you just let them sort it out on their own journey i mean usually that's just something they're gonna have to sort out and i don't know i mean i think that dr crumb does a great job of kind of recognizing and some students but honestly our our program is you have to really want to go to nursing school here. Um, so when I went in 2008, we had a hundred percent pass rate. Um, I think there were like 180 applicants and they accepted 30. That's changed to now they accept 40 and there's like over 300 applicants. So generally the people that they have, and sure there is that one-off person that, you know, might, have done really well in all their prerequisites and their interview and all of that stuff and they're selected and then they get into it and either they decide, you know what, this is not for me or, um, you know, their instructors see some things in them that maybe indicate it's not for them. I think that's usually a very mutual agreement, but most of the time they've worked so hard to be where they are that they, I mean, they had to know that was what they wanted to do. And what, what is your, to to kind of spin it around with a positive take here, what, what is in the purview of your job? What is the thing that happens where you say to yourself, man, I'm glad I got to work this job. What's, what's something that makes you feel in my job now that I have? Oh my gosh. Really? It's, it's the like being at the level of the students learning, like getting to see them. Cause when we talk about simulation, it's really the gap between clinical and the classroom. So, you know, they're learning in the classroom about whatever we're going to simulate about, and then they haven't gone to clinical yet. So it's really trying to make sure that it's that aha moment of, okay, so I've seen in the lecture that these are the signs and symptoms of preeclampsia, but now here I am in this scenario and I'm seeing this 
pregnant mom with preeclampsia. So it's, it's that like impactful aha moment. And then getting to see them like succeed when they go on and do, I mean, these students that are in here today, um, while they're not nurses, they're EMTs and paramedics, it's still just as impactful to see like, these are our, these are our students. One of these particular girls was here last year. So she graduated in December and she's now going through Cox Academy. So seeing her as a fully functioning paramedic and knowing that we had anything to do with, um, you know, her, her success in school and really kind of supplementing what her teachers have done with, you know, here's some, here's some simulation experiences that you can take with you. And it builds so much confidence in them. We have like a feedback survey for afterwards. So my favorite thing to do is read through those student responses about simulation and just seeing you know, how much they say they've learned, how much more confident in themselves it makes them feel and just the impact altogether that it has on them mm-hmm. is I will do this forever. I mean, it's it is amazing to get to see them learning those things and and building their confidence and being, you know, hopefully what is an excellent provider and positively impacting patient outcomes. I had one other question I wanted to ask that is kind of from from a little ways back. Um, you talked about having in simulation these actors that come in. Yeah. And we're hiring these people. Yeah. Are these coming from our theater students? Are they local? Are they So they're kind of just I honestly I don't even know where we get the pool of people that we have. We have such a great group of people. Um, some of them have done theater before and we actually did recently talk to someone from our theater, um, that I think is a, is going to apply part time, but, uh, I don't know where they come well, from. You're talking to a guy with theater background. Are you yeah. looking for a side hustle? Right. Is, that the, is that the plan here? It sounds a little fun. <laughs> it is a blast. So I, when I worked at 911, we did have to do mass shooter drills with uh, PD. Mm-hmm. And we'd be uh, hanging out in this uh, dilapidated school that they don't use anymore, although I think they're converting it into like an art is studio. Is it Pepperdine? No, it's actually not far from here. Yeah. That's Pepperdine, is that yeah. right next to like just a, a half a block from city hall or something. Anyways, it's an old building that they don't use anymore yeah. and they do these drills and I'm never the mm-hmm. shooter. I'm I'm always the victim, but they, yeah. uh, but they, they still cuff me every time they cuff yeah. everybody they see cause they never uh-huh. know, but then they shove you into the ground. They're not, they're not super gentle with you. So. No, they practice yeah. like they play, but they're not supposed to be gentle. You're supposed to be cared for. So Jared, this might be. Yeah. So can Andrew and I <laughs> yeah. volunteer? Absolutely. Do this. Yeah. And then we could interview someone else from your department afterwards yes. about the experience. Now, Whitney, I'm going awesome. to cut you a break here too, Whitney, because while I'm doing it, I give whoever permission to take pictures of me doing it <laughs> and they can replace the IV picture. Yeah. <laughs> Bless your heart with the picture <laughs> yeah. of you. That, that picture brings me so much joy. Yes. We actually just did, uh, we went to Mount Vernon to the VA hospital. It's abandoned. So there's like no power. There's windows broken out. And it was a training for several law enforcement agencies. And really the gist of it was, do we all communicate the same? If we're all trying to make entry into this building, when we're talking about making entry and when we're talking about our suspect or our person of interest, 
do we have the same communication? So long story short, we, they, we joke with our actors. Like if you show up and there's a helmet and eye protection, you know, you've signed up for something serious. (laughs) (laughs) So they, they brought all of that and they brought like, um, paintball guns that were like high velocity, Oh, and they wow. gave them to our actors to shoot the police with. And so we had actors that are like, I mean, when else do you yeah. get to shoot at the police? That was happening when yeah. I was, yeah. Yeah, so that there was, was a moment where they came in. There was a moment. <laughs> essentially, I reenacted, unknowingly reenacted the scene from The Fugitive when a guy was like, hey, halt. And I was like, I didn't do anything. He's like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. It is. It can be so intimidating because they do. They are. They are great about. Yeah, they, they, they didn't use their inside voice or anything. No. They straight up yelled no. at me. I have been zip tied. My hands were zip tied yeah. behind my back and I was launched into a van <laughs> like during the simulation yes oh wow <laughs> yeah they play rough so now we tell our people like hey just so you know they play rough so if if you're signing up for it then yeah. you know obviously we're as careful as we can be but i forgot about the helmets too they did make us little yeah, wear because what protection. if there's crossfire mm-hmm. i mean it, you know why yeah, not? We actually you don't up, actually think of this until you're right. in the freaking moment. Yeah. yeah. So the jail's um, old medical director and then Dr. Brandt, who is always up here in SIM and is the medical director for paramedicine. The last one we did, um, the it was a peaceful protest, which turned not peaceful. And that was the intent. <laughs> but um, that's a good storyline. Yeah, they got. They got maced. We were macing a mannequin and they were downwind. So they both got maced right in the face. So they're bent over coughing and like, I'm okay. You know, yeah. putting their thumb up like, good job. But yeah, it's, that's, there's usually some casualties of some sort at those simulations. You don't mace your EMT patients or anything. No, do you? Okay. we don't. All right. We don't all right. Do well, then you can sign me up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. You guys have to come do it. And as much as I complain, like I've seen their training, the officers train, they have to undergo it. Yeah. They have to get tased, which looks like fun on TV. But I mean, if you see somebody operate a taser in person, uh-huh. I mean, it's got to feel like you're being knifed. It does it, it, not yes. look comfortable. In, not, no, yes. absolutely not. In TV, it's like little sparks go off and everybody laughs. But no, in real life, those things are loud and mean. Yes. Have yeah. you been tased? No, but I was like 20 feet away. They they uh, again, I worked at the uh, 911 emergency whatever yep. you call it center and they tase in the parking lot just outside. And so I'm mm-hmm. standing on a balcony looking straight down on officers while they tase each other. And some of them were having a pretty good time, uh, sure. but not the guy getting tased at any given moment. And it it looks like they're getting stabbed. Their reaction is as if they're getting stabbed. Yeah. That's how severe it must feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have EMS come pull the prongs out, you know, oh, like it's not I forgot just a, about the prongs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like it's it not is, even like the kind where it just no, has no, no. launch it's a, into it's a gun oh. with like a plastic thing that you load onto it and shoot and it. It, I mean, you get prongs like yeah. fish hooks. You, you are not, you are like not, you are not roping me into this. Yeah. Eventually, we're going to be, <laughs> eventually, we're going to be training police here at OTC. Eventually, yeah. we will. That's yeah. a new program that's coming. Uh, and we'll be talking to somebody who's going to say, you know, we'll, uh, we'll walk you around and show you the ropes. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. Yeah. I've but, seen your ropes. They do not look yeah. comfortable. Yeah. I wonder what signing that looks like too as a student. Like, I'm going to have to sign that I'm going to be electrocuted essentially yeah that's a, probably a pretty serious document yeah. too right yeah i would imagine so <laughs> wow so um <laughs> we it took us a a, a, a a this you're our 20th guest i think i think she's 19th is it gonna be 19th yeah let me check my math on that but you were saying uh anyways it took it took us a while to get get uh to around to allied health and then to we're or, or excuse me 
health sciences. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're glad to... 20th, right? She's 20th. Yeah, it's there a special episode. 20th, absolutely. Uh, so I'm glad we were to bring you in. And, and we'd like... Um, you to, to suggest uh, to us, you know, who would who do you think would be a great guest to bring on? Uh, maybe someone that, that you work with or in, in health sciences that uh, might be under the radar or, or someone that oh. we haven't been introduced to before that, you know, or that you think would be a great guest to have on. I think Joe McTaggart and paramedicine would be a good one. So that'd be he's it's it's. So paramedicine was part of Allied Health or Health Sciences, and now they're part of the Center for Public Safety, which is still very, I mean, paramedicine's very health sciences, you know, driven. So I think Joe McTaggart would be a good one. Joe McTaggart. That's, um, the, good, that's the good answer, because I have no clue who I've that is. I've never met Joe. Good. That, that's a good answer. Okay. That's a good Anything answer. Anything in particular we should ask him about? Oh... Uh, He's, you know, okay, so this is probably very telling about me, but it's also very telling about Joe. I think I wear my heart on my sleeve. So if I, I mean, I get frustrated a decent amount, like at least daily and I'm a parent. So I think that's part of it too. Your fuse, your fuse is already half the length that it should be (laughs) when you're parenting. Yeah. So I was really frustrated one day and I was kind of venting and Joe and Gavin were in the office where I was like just, you know, venting about it. And then it came to me, I have never seen Joe like off kilter whatsoever he is always this like you know happy go lucky like just very i don't i don't know that you could ever like poke him to the point of of being frustrated and so this is what i asked him i was like joe when's the last time you were frustrated he was like i mean like you could tell he was thinking about mm-hmm. Or give him an hour with us. Yeah. yeah. We'll he really see, couldn't we'll come up with any, any time. Is this about what question we should ask or a challenge? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it could be both. <laughs> give him an hour with us. We'll, we'll yeah. break him yeah, down. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that Isn't guy. Isn't that aggravating, by what the way? Was his, yeah. What was his answer? He couldn't come up with a time. I mean, he, and I'm like, I mine are at least daily. Like, yeah, I was probably sure. frustrated an hour ago. Yeah. And he couldn't come up with a, like, I don't, I mean, I think he was like, I don't generally feel frustrated. Like. Well, that must be nice. Yeah, that's right. So, and then yeah, that make you it's so, so mad because that happens to me fairly yeah. regularly. But my yeah. office mate and uh, longtime office mate, Greg French, is cool yeah. as a cucumber. Nothing gets to him. I'm yeah, like, that's not fair. It's not. Surely he, surely he and Joe locked themselves in a room yeah. somewhere and screamed their heads off. Yeah, they that's have it. to. Yeah, that that is a gift. If not, like how how does nothing phase you? He's just always very like, you know. I don't know if he meditates or what, but you some- both are so suspicious. There's there's something yeah. they're not telling yeah. us. I yeah. know that's not possible. I check their crawl space is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, fantastic. Um, a, a lot today. Um, um, learning about um, sharing with us uh, your experience uh, in in sim simu- in the, the the simulation department in um, the activities you were doing with your students. Uh, how the pandemics affected you, um, sharing with us a little bit about your mother. Um, Andrew, did you know that? I did not know that. I did not know that either. Now you do. Thank oh, you so you much. You nailed it. Take care.